Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we do have a great show for you. We're just waiting for the Coach's Corner panel actually to uh, call in. They're running a little bit late. Um, uh, not to worry, and if, if not, I will uh, have a fallback in case. Um, but a little bit later on, I'm also going to be joined by my very special guest, Barry Goldstein. He's a golf professional and one of the uh, top 25 instructors for Golf Tips Magazine, and also a good friend. And uh, he'll be joining me a little bit later on, and I think we're going to have uh, a few call-ins as well uh, during his time on the second half. Um, in the meantime, while I'm waiting for uh, my two uh, first guests to join me here on the show, I'm going to just remind everybody, uh, obviously, if you're tuning in, you figured uh, where we are. Uh, but for those of you that may be for the first time, there's a number of different ways you can tune in. Uh, the best and easiest way is to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. And you can actually follow the show. You can click follow there on the main screen, and you will automatically receive uh, email alerts to let you know. Uh, I think it's about an hour before the show goes live. You'll see who's going to be on the show that night. And, of course, there's a link, a direct link that you can tune in and listen to the show. Um, for some reason, if you can't tune in live, uh, you can go to that link, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. And what you can do there is scroll down to the on-demand section, and uh, you can listen to all of the previously aired shows uh, in their entirety uh, at your convenience. So if you're not able to tune in live, that's not to worry. Just visit our on-demand section at blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golftalklive, and you can listen to uh, the pre-recorded shows uh, in their entirety when, again, it's convenient for you. Uh, also, don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning uh, on the blogtalkradio.com network for the Women of Golf Show. That's a show that I do Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, here on the same network. Uh, the difference being is blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf. And that, uh, I have a co-host, Cindy Miller. She's an LPGA professional and Legends Tour player. Uh, Cindy and I have the pleasure of speaking with a lot of the uh, up-and-coming players uh, on the Epson Tour. Uh, many of them have been winners or winners for the first time, and some of them are striving to win their first event uh, as we've uh, been dealing with some of them this year. And uh, we usually start out with uh, interviewing one of them and then have a special guest uh, a little bit later on. It might be another LPGA professional or Legends Tour uh, player or a um, woman in the business side of golf that uh, is doing other areas, uh, might be a teacher professional, what have you, uh, usually they will join us on the second half of that show. But you want to make sure you tune into that. And again, the same thing. If you visit that link, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, 
and you can scroll down to the on-demand section and uh, listen to the shows, again, that have been previously aired in their entirety um, as well. So lots of great ways, and also all of the other platforms, main platforms that uh, any podcast can be reached, whether it be Spotify, CastBox, uh, uh, iTunes, sorry, uh, and a bunch of others as well. Um, you can tune in there uh, as well, again, at your convenience. So a lot of great ways to uh, listen to the show, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to, uh, as I said, visit our main link and just click on follow. That's the easiest way. That way you get notifications uh, in your email inbox to let you know. Uh, also, don't forget uh, Golf Tips Magazine, which is, of course, one of the sponsors and happens to be uh, my publication now. Um, you can go there if you're interested in getting a uh, instructional magazine. Golf Tips is a little bit different than many of the other industry uh, publications. They typically tend to be more uh, heavy article uh, written, if you will. Uh, certainly do have some instruction as well. Uh, but Golf Tips tends to be one of the leaders in tip instructional magazines out there. So if you're interested, go to golftipsmag.com. You can subscribe today. Uh, it's a great offer. There's six issues. Uh, it's a bi-monthly magazine. A lot of great ways to, uh, uh, to follow um, what's happening in the uh, area of golf instruction. And, of course, there are some articles there as well on the mental side of the game. Uh, and also uh, other areas as well. So make sure you check that out, and it's available in print or digital, or you can reg um, sign up and um, subscribe to both. Uh, just go to golftipsmag.com, and you can subscribe either uh, way there. There's a lot of great options, and there's a lot of great information on the website, some travel destinations that maybe you are, are now that we're starting to be able to move around a little bit better uh, post-pandemic. Um, you're able to uh, travel a little bit more. There's some great golf destinations if you're planning on a buddy trip or maybe if your spouse or, or partner uh, is a golfer or has thought about uh, getting into the game. There's a lot of great uh, resorts and golfing destinations, uh, not only around the world, but even here, particularly in the United States, that you can go to that are, are very budget-friendly uh, and give you a chance to check out some of the great uh, courses that are available. Um, all right, so as we wait, as I mentioned, we're waiting for the Coach's Corner panel. I have... Uh, message them both. Uh, I think they're probably just running a little bit late, as sometimes they do. Um, so what I'm going to do in the meantime while I wait for them to uh, come on is I'm going to go back in and talk about some things that we recently asked, Cindy and I recently asked um, one of the Epson Tour players, and I'm going to form it sort of in a, in a, uh, a question format, if you will, and then give you uh, some tips, if you will, uh, to help you become a, uh, a better player. So one of the things that I think is important for any good golfer to do, uh, if you're learning this game, whether it be a beginner or somebody that's been playing for a while, is you want to identify your overall strengths and weaknesses of the game. So what do I mean by that? You want to find out what area specifically, uh, let's tackle uh, the strengths, of course. So, for instance, um, we spoke to uh, Becca, who is one of the Epson Tour players. Uh, Becca Huffer is her name. And she came on and we asked her that. So she gave us a little bit of idea of what some of the strengths of her game were and what some of the weaknesses were. And so for strengths, for instance, maybe you're a pretty good uh, player off the tee. So, in other words, with your driver or um, uh, long wood or uh, fairway wood, what have you, off the tee, maybe you're pretty accurate with that and you can typically get it in the fairway. So that's one of your strengths that you're going to do. Maybe another strength is you're a pretty decent bunker player. 
So that would fall into the strength core, uh, category as well. Your up, um, up and down, if you will, from the bunker is, is typically pretty good. Um, so that would be one of your strengths. Maybe a weak area of your game is your approach shots so, uh, to the green. So for instance, maybe 100 to 150 yards uh, and in, or say 150 yards in, is an area that you struggle with. So your irons are maybe not always being hit uh, that crisp, and particularly your, your short uh, wedges, uh, maybe you're not able to dial them in very accurately, and you find yourself uh, quite a ways away from the pin. Uh, maybe you're 20, 30, 40 uh, feet or sometimes longer from the pin. You're not able to, to get it in close. So those are uh, a weak area. Maybe your putting as well is also another area uh, that you found to be a weak area in your game. So what you want to do is you want to do this, is you want to... Um, set up your practice time. Now what I mean by practice time is this is not a warm-up before your uh, uh, typical round. This is a practice session. So if you have an opportunity to go to the range, let's say this week or this weekend coming up, uh, what I would do is I would say, okay, I'm going to spend, let's say, 45 minutes to an hour at the range. So rather than just grabbing a bucket of balls and hitting you know, shot after shot out in the range, um, you want to focus on specific areas, your weaknesses in particular. So again, let's start with, say, your putting. So what a good tip for, uh, for my students, what I try to get them to do, in, and this is a tip really um, that we've talked about here. In fact, uh, a gentleman that's been on Coach's Corner for a number of years, Clint Wright, has uh, referenced this many, many times, and it's talked about setting benchmarks. Um, so what that means is you want to find a fairly flat area on the practice putting green, and um, it might be, uh, for argument's sake, it might be 20 feet long. And what you want to do is you want to practice putting different distances. So, for instance, you want to find out if I take the, the putter face, if I take the club back to, I've assumed obviously my, my putting position, and let's say uh, my feet are shoulder width apart. So I want to find out if I take the, the putter face back to, uh, if I'm a, a right-handed golfer, um, if I'm taking the putter face back to my right foot and I'm going to stroke through towards my left towards my left foot, I want to find out if I take that putter head back to just say even with my right foot and then stroke it through um, say to my left foot, um, how far is the ball going to roll? So I want to hit several putts, maybe five putts, and they should be fairly even in their roll. And then I want to pace that off and find out how it, so is it, is it 10 feet, is it uh, 12 feet, is it 15 feet? And then what I want to do is I want to um, keep going in that same pattern. So maybe the next time I'm only going to take it halfway back and halfway through. Um, and then I want to pace that. So again, I want to hit another five shots that way, and I want to pace those off. And then I might want to take it just a little outside of my right foot and a little outside. So I want to try to keep it fairly even in the putting stroke. It's more of like, like a pendulum stroke. And the idea is if I know how far a putt is going to go by taking the club head back a certain distance and following through a certain distance, if I know that's going to be, for argument's sake, let's say a 12-foot putt if I'd go from my right foot to my left foot, then I know when I ste step up for a fairly flat putt that that's going to be the case, that I can count on I'm going to hit that 12 feet. So if I need to go a little bit less, then I know I need to go a little bit less than that. If I know I need to go a little bit more, maybe I've set another benchmark where maybe 15 to 20 feet uh, might be another two benchmarks that I want to set. So those are some things that you can do uh, to help 
be able to uh, focus on your putting. So um, your wedge game is another area that uh, maybe you've indicated is not very good. So what you might want to do here is uh, there's a great program out there called Operation 36. And basically what they do is they start you out, um, say, at 25 yards from the green. And you hit some shots, and the idea is you want to be able to uh, get it obviously as close as you can, and you want to play a certain number of shots uh, for each, and then you move back to 50, and then to 75, and then say 100 yards. And the idea is you want to be able to shoot 36. So you're playing, say, nine different uh, positions, and you want to be able to score no more than 36, hence the name Operation 36. And so again, you're, you're kind of in a way setting up a, a benchmark, if you will, uh, for your uh, short game, so your, your wedges. And you want to try that with not just your typical pe pitching wedge, but you may also want to try it uh, with a lob wedge or a gap wedge as well. And you want to get an idea of the distances that you're hitting uh, each of those clubs. So if you start out with a shorter distance, uh, say with 25 yards, and pitching it onto the green and obviously seeing where it's going to go and you want to pick a spot on the green that you want the ball to land and then watch it roll out. Obviously, the higher the club uh, or more lofted club that you're using, say uh, your pitching wedge might uh, hit and then roll a little bit more than, say, your lob wedge or your gap wedge. So you want to take note of that. So some you may want to pitch it a little bit further onto the green if it, if it has a higher ball flight and stops a little quicker, then it's not going to roll out as much. So that means you're going to have to hit it a little bit closer to the pin. The idea is you want to work on these things, uh, these areas, and those are going to help you. And this is what the professionals do. They don't just get out there in the range and hit a bunch of balls. They actually practice with a purpose. They get out there and they break their uh, strengths and weaknesses down. If there's uh, an area that they're struggling with, that's when they do it. Now, conversely, if you're just warming up before a round, you don't want to get that detailed. So what you might want to do is you might want to go through a few different clubs in your bag. So you might want to start out um, with uh, a few wedge shots just to kind of warm up. The idea is not to uh, focus on technique here. This is a warm-up before you're playing now. And again, you, you don't necessarily want to uh, focus on technique or try to worry about being 100% accurate. It's all about really getting yourself into a rhythm as you get ready to play that round that particular day. Um, you might want to, again, might want to start with a couple of wedge shots. Then maybe you're going to move to a 9 or an 8 iron and hit uh, maybe 5 or 6 shots here. You Ideally, uh, I think for a warm-up uh, session, probably the maximum is 15 to 20 minutes. Any more than that, then you're turning it into um, you know, more of a, a golf lesson almost, and you're going to spend way, way too much time um, focusing on that. So warm up a little bit and go through some of your other clubs. So now maybe you're going to graduate to a seven iron. Again, maybe hitting five or six shots with that. The idea is you're just trying to get a feel uh, for what you're going to, what's going to happen to you on the golf course. So if you're a typical slicer of the ball and you're still slicing it a little bit, don't worry about that. You can adjust accordingly, and I'll tell you how you can do that um, when you get out on the golf course. Um, but the idea is you want to get an idea of how you're playing that particular day. Is that sl slice, for instance, is it still fairly prevalent, or maybe is it toned down a little bit that you're, you're still hitting a little bit of a fade, 
but it's not as pronounced as you normally hit. So that's a good sign. So now you know that you don't have to compensate as much when you get out on the golf course. And then you obviously want to get out and graduate up to your driver. You want to hit a few uh, drives out there uh, with the driver. Um, now, if you find that you're struggling with your driver, then maybe that's not a club you want to use when you go out in the golf course. Maybe that's a club you want to set aside and you want to be able to uh, utilize that um, when uh, you feel confident. Maybe there's a, a wide open fairway, what have you. That's where you're going to use that. Maybe you're going to hit off the tee with a, a uh, uh, either a hybrid or a fairway wood might be the option for you. So you want to work through that in a warm-up session, and then when you get out on the golf course, obviously you're going to take what game you had on the range with you on the golf course. So if you're slicing a little bit, you want to compensate by um, teeing it up on the opposite side uh, of the tee. So if you're hitting it left to right, you want to tee up on the right-hand side of the tee, and you want to aim a little bit towards the left side of the fairway so that when it fades or slices back in, it's going to either come into the center of the fairway or it might be a little bit to the right side, but either way, you're going to be in a good position. All right, I see that the uh, ladies, or one of them anyways, is, uh, is on here. So I'm going to do a quick introduction, and, uh, and then I'm going to bring them on here. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, we've got Coach's Corner tonight, and uh, my two very special guests. Uh, first up is Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's a Class A LBJ Teach Professional and a sixth-degree Aikido black belt. Uh, she's also a somatic uh, psychologist, a corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer. Uh, Phi Beta Kappa graduate uh, from Stanford Uni uh, University, excuse me, and she's also the creator of Ki Golf, the Centered Way. Also joining her is Sue Weger. Uh, she's the number one best-selling author, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach. Uh, she's a 24-plus year LPGA, LPGA Class A uh, golf professional and owner of Weger Consulting LLC. So. Uh, I see Jamie's here, and we'll just keep an eye out for, for Sue as well, but uh, let me bring her on the show. Good evening, Jamie. Hi, How Ted. are you? I'm good. Uh, I thought I was a little late. <laughs> I had a, a blowout on the freeway, but here I am, so glad to be with you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad you're safe and you were able to, uh, to make it, but um, um, not, to, not to worry. All right, so um, I'm going to keep an eye out for Sue. I, I think she may be coming on as well. Hopefully, I, I know I messaged you both, and I think she's probably just running a little bit um, behind here as well. But I want to thank you for, uh, for coming on, and um, we will do our best to, uh, to try and hold down the fort, as they say. So what I wanted to talk about is um, a couple of things. First and foremost, let me just um, – I want to read something out here um, – as most of the people in the golf profession know, uh, last week, of course, we lost a legend, uh, one of the LPGA uh, co-founders and a teacher professional, Shirley Spork, who I know uh, you knew quite well. And she was one of 13 founders of the LPGA Tour who uh, just recently had learned uh, that she was going to be inducted to the LPGA Hall of Fame. Uh, well, unfortunately, she passed last Tuesday uh, at the age of 94, and um, Despite not ever winning on the LPGA Tour, her best finish was actually a runner-up at the 1962 LPGA Championship at Stardust Country Club in Las Vegas. Um, but her impact stretched across seven decades uh, of starting the tour and teaching the game. In fact, she was instrumental uh, in the creation of the LPGA Teaching and Club Professional uh, Division, and, uh, which literally began with six members and now boasts over 1,700 uh, women professionals. Um, 
And although the LPGA Hall of Fame is probably among uh, the most stringent in sports, requiring uh, a number of uh, points, 27, I believe, accrued uh, through victories, majors, and top awards, the tour voted last month to, in addition, to add Lorena Choa, and who had also uh, had not achieved uh, sorry, the minimum 10 years on tour, and all of the founders who didn't get in through their performance on the golf course. So I know she was instrumental in helping uh, to spur that. Uh, and she said herself that getting into the LPGA Hall of Fame is the highest honor ever in uh, our profession, she said. Uh, so she's uh, climbed the whole ladder and gotten to the top, uh, and she hoped that she would be able to sit on that ladder for a few more years and be able to join it. Regrettably, as I mentioned, unfortunately, we lost her. I know that she was a friend of yours as well as a, uh, a mentor of sorts. Um, maybe if you could just share a few words, and then I want to talk about some specific things. And as I said, I'm going to keep an eye out for uh, Sue as well. But maybe you could, uh, Jamie, you could maybe just share a few thoughts uh, on Shirley, because I know that she meant quite a lot to you. Yeah, thank you, Ted, for mentioning her, honoring her. And uh, I was so fortunate to be close with her for over the last 20 years, maybe a little bit more. And uh, she was uh, an amazing human being. She was actually a better golfer than her record shows. I've been doing Mm -hmm. a lot of work on her memorabilia. Her house in and of itself is a museum. (laughs) And um, Mm -hmm. uh, the whole, yeah, so she had, there's so many things back there. And I've been spending a week at a time whenever I can uh, going through her things with our new Marilyn Smith and Founders Legacy Foundation because we really have so much to learn from the founders, even though it's 70 mm-hmm. years ago, 72 years since they founded the LPGA, but it's so evergreen. They were such pioneers. They were so ahead of their time as athletes as, and as businesswomen. But, uh, you know, going through uh, her old scrapbooks, which just took up, a, I don't know, several feet, you know, one next to the other, next to the other. And they were all in impeccable order, and they had all the original newspaper articles uh, from the 40s and then, of course, uh, into the 50s, uh, LPJ being founded in, in the 1950s. But her career, her playing career as a, as a student and as an amateur was really – Stellar. She she actually had mm-hmm. quite a few victories, and um, yeah, but she really felt that that uh, teaching was her passion. She was already a, um, a a PE teacher and a very educated one, and so she she knew about teaching. She knew about people. She had amazing people skills. Literally, until I would say, you know, the the minute she died, you I think may have come across her. She was just open and caring and interested in everybody she met. She was, I felt that she taught almost with every breath that she took. It mm-hmm. was just such a part of her. Um, so it was, it was fun to be around her. She had a memory that, Ted, you and I would envy when we were 15 years old, <laughs> 20 years old. <laughs> right, she right. She remembered everything. She would... She, and she loved to tell stories, and I have hours and hours of uh, footage mm-hmm. on my phone and old video camera of, of her just uh, telling stories, but they were always so interesting. And she could remember the name of every person involved, the name of the, the club, the city, um, so-and-so's boss or uncle or kids. And she, I mean, it, all their names, all the details of their stories. So it was really mm-hmm amazing to listen to her it was so rich and so colorful and just she just um yeah she kind of she knew a lot let's put it that way and 
one thing, I'll, I'll just give you one example of going through her memorabilia. Um, so she has on her wall uh, a lot of old golf clubs. Some even belong to the babe and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But uh, so there's a poster and it's signed by all the LPJ founders and, and pioneers, a generation or two after the founders themselves. And this was in 1987, 1988. Marilyn Smith hosted a founders sort of reunion. Uh, sorry, a little noise mm-hmm. back on here. But a founders reunion tournament. And Shirley was paired with Louise Suggs, which is really cool. But anyway, so, you know, she's talking about that whole event. And then she happens to mention that Ben Holden was there and gave each of the founders a personalized blazer. And I said, really? Wow. She said, yeah, I got it here in my closet. I'm like, really? Can you go get it? Can you put it on? <laughs> <laughs> and she's uh, just so sort of offhand about this stuff, right? But so she goes, she puts it on. I've got about a five-minute video of her, which we are going to be including in some of our founders' memorabilia displays. But so she puts it on, and it has an insignia on one side and the sort of breast pocket of, uh, for the tournament. The other side, of course, you know, Ben Hogan. And then she opens it up, and it's silk-lined, and it's uh, personally embroidered and inscribed to Shirley Spork from Ben Hogan. And we actually have wow. a picture, we discovered, of Ben Hogan putting the jacket on her. And there she is sporting it. So, and she just got it hanging in her closet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the thing is, and, and it's, it's a testament to, um, you know, her and, and obviously Marilyn was another one that was, you know, um, I, I remember uh, Debbie Wakis, who had been on uh, both this show and, and the Women of Golf a number of times, mm-hmm. talked about Marilyn, how she was very emphatic about um, anybody that she met or had some sort of a, you know, a life experience with would always send them a handwritten note. She didn't, you know... Uh, obviously, she was mm. not uh, as modern with technology as, as we are now where we're texting and, and emailing and so forth. But, you know, she talked about how, um, you know, she always sent a, a personal note of thanks if somebody invited her somewhere or somebody did something special for her or if she just had a, you know, a nice conversation. So I remember when she came on, I think it was about a year before she passed uh, with Debbie, and they were, of course, talking about the, the Marilyn Smith uh, charities and so forth. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember thinking to myself, well, I haven't written a hand note in I don't know how long, so I thought I'm going to do the next best thing. And I actually had her phone number, and I called her immediately after the show. And she was just <laughs> as excited as if I had written a note. And I thought, I better do something like, because I, I said, I don't want to, you know, end up being some cad that, you know, thank you very much for coming on the show. And, you know, she never hears from me. So I made a point of spending a few moments with her on the phone, uh, just her and I afterwards. Well, uh, but it was, sorry, go ahead. No, that's beautiful. No, that personal touch, they were so good at it, and they just had this instinct about it. Marilyn was extreme, and, you know, it's inspired me to go out, go to the store, and buy, you know, a 50-pack of thank you notes and uh, and a bunch of stamps, and I have started it, I started writing them. And we kind of call, we just did an um, evolutionaries call, and we were talking, uh, the title of it was uh, Old School Values for the New Generation. And that's, you know, in a sense, one of the old school values is that kind of personal connection, that kind of gratitude, that acknowledgement. And just Mm -hmm. to let you know, this is a great Marilyn story. Marilyn actually wrote a thank you note to my friend. My friend had bought uh, one of her items or her book or something. And so, um, you know, and uh, so there was a thank you note for that. And my friend wrote her back. And Marilyn thanked her for thanking her. 
<laughs> right. Um, and she was like 89, 90 years old. She was ready to get ready to die, and she still did that. So I have started to do yeah. that in the last year or two since I've gone out and, you know, just I, I buy packs of uh, thank you notes. And it's a really good feeling to do, and it's a wonderful thing to receive. So, um, and, and, you know, the founders as businesswomen, I think that's something we don't think about that much. But if you think that in 1950, after the WPGA, which was the Women's Professional Golf Association, had tried to get off the ground between 1946 and 1950, a lot of people don't know that, and they wonder, why is it called ladies? Why not women? You know? But uh, they tried the WPGA. It didn't work. And then, so then they changed it to LPGA, got it off the ground with the 13 founders in 1950. But, I mean, they had to be not only the athletes, they had to be setting up the tournaments, they had to be their own travel right. agents, they had to be their own accountants, and they really had to be their own marketers. So they would mm-hmm. show up in a town and they went to baseball games, they threw pitches, you know, the first pitch out for the, you know, the local teams or the, um, you know, um, what are they called, the minor league games and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Then they became, uh, they started giving clinics and they did them in a way that was what today we might call edutaining so they were very educational, but they were t- total entertainers. You know, the classic uh, Patty mm-hmm. Berg turning her baseball cap around and showing you, you know, which direction to go, and, you know, by, by her, right. uh, where the brim of her baseball cap is pointing. And Shirley, I, I knew that Shirley had become a trick shot artist. That was one of her particular contributions. And when I was in the back room of her house uh, a few months ago, I opened a drawer and I found these like giant teas in all these different colors. She goes, Oh yeah, those are mine. I, I use those for my trick shots. And she still had them. So, wow. I mean, that's, that's a real piece of memorabilia. And to think of her, to think of them at that time doing those kinds of um, sort of uh, PR things and showing that, that women were athletes, women were entertainers, and they just had a business sense about them with none of the entrepreneurial education that's just mm-hmm. abounding everywhere, right? I mean, it's all over the place these days and how to be a, these days, how to be a successful entrepreneur, run a business, et cetera. They had none of that. They just kind of knew. And I once asked Shirley, I said, like, where'd you get some of your business sense? And she said, well, you know, uh, she's talking about the like thirties and forties. You know, she's a kid growing up. She goes, you know, I was an only child. My parents are busy and you know, they're just trying to make some money. So we had something to eat. And she goes, so I, uh, I don't know. I just kind of made a little business myself. I was able to purchase <laughs> Coca-Cola and chocolate bars, and and I sold them. So like you had a lemonade stand. Well, I had my I had my soda and candy stand, and I marked them up. <laughs> I marked them up. Right. I, I marked them up. Everyone by a penny or two, right? <laughs> and she saved up her pennies literally, and uh, started right. making a living that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, and, 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 and you're, you know, you're exactly other- right. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What I was going to say is you're exactly right in your analogy is that that particularly that generation, I mean, they didn't have the, you know, the advantage of things like the internet and, you know, marketing agencies and and you know, managers the way that they do now um or PR people if you will that a lot of the players or um you know, some of the modern day golfers uh have. They they had to do it themselves. I I want to ask you something because I I know we started off a little bit late, so I want to make sure I get a few of the questions in. And it's sort of along this mm-hmm. line. Um, so 
you know, obviously, as I mentioned, and as everybody knows, that uh, she was one of the 13 original founders of the LPGA, and she, along with the others, were, were very instrumental in, in really starting uh, or spurring the, um, the elevation of women's golf. And as a result, how has being a member of the LPGA, as a result of what they've done, how has that changed your life? And specifically, are there any life lessons that you've learned since you've become an LPGA member? Mm, those are interesting questions. You know, I think back, I'm going to kind of give my age away, anybody does the math, but um, <laughs> I grew up in uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and there used to be an LPGA tournament there in the 60s, early, mid-60s, and which is really, if you think about it, only 10, 12, 15 years after the LPGA was founded. And uh, Mickey Wright was playing, Kathy Whitworth, Donna Capone. There were some already some, you know, really great names and great players. And, you know, I was a little kid, and I uh, I was shooting in the 80s just kind of right off the bat. I sort of had it when I started playing golf at 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. And so I got invited to play in the Pro-Am. <clears throat> and Donna Capone was my pro when I was 10 years old. And I'm watching Mickey Wright. I'm watching Kathy Whitworth. I'm just kind of blown mm-hmm. away, you know. And, and now I look back on it, and I didn't realize how new the LPGA really was. I just saw these awesome women golfers and that there were these professional tournaments, and there was something to aspire to. There was somewhere to go with my golfing ability, even as a, as a young girl. And I think that that is very, very important. You know, we need to, number one, we need to have role models, and so... Already Mm -hmm. there were role models, uh, and we also need to have opportunities so that if you're playing, uh, you know, you're just starting to play, it's fun, getting somewhere, okay, you're doing junior golf, oh, there's stuff you can do in high school, oh, there's college golf, uh, and you may aspire to playing uh, tour golf. But it's like, you know, it 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 gave me as a young person, a young girl, something to, to imagine and to aspire to. And also back at that time, it's different today, but uh, that sense of aspiration and opportunity is absolutely essential. Um, and, you know, we still don't really have full equity for, uh, for women, for right. uh, people of color in the sports world by any means or in the golf world. Uh, however, we have come an awful long way in these decades, thanks to mm-hmm. all of the, the founders and then the pioneers and, you know, everyone who's come before us. Right. And, um, and that we ourselves, you know, as I've become an adult, many of us have become adults, and we've become uh, teaching professionals, not necessarily even tour players. But, um, you know, we were able to provide that for the younger generation. And I think that that's absolutely essential, because otherwise you kind of have, mm-hmm. you know, nowhere to go, and you don't really know what you're doing. And the, the sense of mentorship is really is really legacy. It's, it's living legacy, you know, in the moment. And... Um, it was really cool to see that Shirley and Marilyn, who I got to know them, you know, uh, both pretty well in, in you know the last uh, decade or two of their lives, and they were in their they're in their seventies, eighties, ninety years old, and they were as vital and passionate mm-hmm. about that that mission, that purpose, and playing that role as when they were when they were you know twenty thirty years old themselves, and they were conscious of of what they were providing. And I think that if we can all be conscious of what, what we're really doing every day, you know, we're not, we don't just have mm-hmm. a job or we don't just kind of teach uh, someone how to hold the club or there's, yeah, we do all that, but we're doing so much more. 
And that is absolutely, that, that's just life-giving. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think you're, you're right. Even in their golden years, shall we say, they were still a force to be reckoned with as far as the LPJ was concerned, even though, um, you know, they were no longer, um, you know, 20, 30 years old. They were still very active. Marilyn still, of course, and her, her legacy will continue, as, as will Shirley's. And this brings me to this question here is with the next generation um, of the LPJ, particularly the teaching and club professionals, we're going to stay away from the tour for for a little bit just because that's a whole different area uh, altogether. But um, hopefully they will build on Shirley's and Maryland's and the other uh, founding uh, uh, founders' legacy, if you will. What are some things that they could do moving forward that you would like to see the LPGA do, particularly in the teaching and club professionals um, uh, division? What would you like to see building off of what you know that those ladies uh, the founders of the LPGA have done thus far. How would you like to see things go moving forward? Well, I think we're moving in some good directions. Um, they, the founders were very courageous. <laughs> they were creative. <laughs> they you know, stepped outside of the box, and that was okay to do in a game that is you know, you play by the rules and you, you play with respect and morality and integrity and, uh, and all of that. So you're observing that. And at the same time, you're, you're you know, stepping out of the box. You're being unlimited, right, in, in who you mm-hmm. can right. become. So, and I think that, I think they were very values driven, which I think is absolutely important. And, you know, we talk about old school values. I think it's almost old school to have values these days. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. we really yeah. need to be inculcating uh, values that are, that are humane, that are respectful, that are considerate, that are win-win. And so that we're competing, you know, with our fellow competitors, not just against them kind of thing. So, that, you know, we have to recognize our that we're all in this together, we're all in life together, we're in the sport together, and uh, I think they had that sense. I think um, the other thing that, in terms of direction uh, that we're headed and that I think we can take inspiration from them is in the sense of inclusivity. And the LTGA Mm -hmm. and the teaching division is, uh, is really putting a lot of conscious energy in that direction, diversity, inclusion, opportunity, and... uh, So, and I know that, uh, for example, Shirley was very happy about that. And uh, Marilyn was just this broad-based human being. She tra- you know, they, they both traveled the world. I forget how many countries that uh, Marilyn was in, and her personality was just, in her heart, were just gigantic. You know, she was just mm-hmm. inclusive in who she was. She embraced everyone everywhere with her love, with her energy, with her encouragement. And so I think that if we can have the sense of open-heartedness and big-heartedness and that that bringing everyone in and including everyone with real care, you know, you know their name, you know how they're doing, you want to know how they're doing and what can you do, what can you give them in terms of uh, you know, some energy, some some advice, some encouragement, some support. Is there something you can actually tangibly do and care to do and inquire to do? So they were really like that. Um, 
and they they had mm-hmm. a very strong sense of ambassadorship, being ambassadors for the game, and um, and that the game is it's all about golf and it's all about life and being the best you can be mm-hmm. as a player and as a person. So, you know, I think we can learn a lot from them and they would be uh, very happy for us to carry that, that type of legacy on And I think that the LPGA, you know, is moving in good directions uh, as far as those values go and that sense of inclusivity and opportunity. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I noticed too, and and I saw that with with obviously some of the the older men as well, um, you know the Nicholases, the the players, and and things like that, and obviously Palmer. Um, even though they become very well known uh, and even you know famous because of who they were, it wasn't about. I mean, Nicholas famously said that you know he his goal was to go out there and win tournaments. It wasn't about building a brand or. Um, you know, building a name for himself. And I think that was the impression I got from both Marilyn and Shirley as well, is it was about the the sport, it was about the organization, it was about really everything other than themselves. And they seemed to want to have, to make sure that no matter what it was they were going to do, that, gosh, they were going to have fun doing it. Um, you know, and I think it was a matter, right? I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. So do you think the message, too, and I think that they wanted to, to get across is, is even though we, you know, golf is a competitive sport, we see the, the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour and so forth, um, do you think the message coming from the LPGA is, is even much more than just the competitiveness uh, of the sport? That's part of it, but I think they also wanted, it's a, it's a community, it's a family, it's, it's a way of empowering, um, you know, women to, to be the best that they can be and then sharing that knowledge um, with you know, for lack of better words, their audience or their pupils or their students that they're working with and each other. I think that would be a fair statement. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the LPJ has a slogan with a lot of E's. I'm not positive exactly what they all are. I know there's empowerments in there and education <laughs> and right. you know, enjoyment. These things are all really important. And I can tell you that surely I noticed in the last years, um, now of her life, it's still kind of hard for me to believe she's gone so suddenly, but mm. um, she emphasized the enjoyment part an awful lot. She would mm. often talk about uh, it, it. Well, she gave a lot of talks, I mean, in person, and she was really hip. I want everyone to know. She used social media. Yep. She got on her computer. She uh, she was she commented on my Facebook stuff. I mean, you know, until a few days before she died. I mean, uh, yeah, she was, and she was doing Zoom. Uh, she was great. But um, she always, uh, especially in recent years, talked about being aware of nature, being aware of the blue sky and the green grass and the Mm -hmm. warm sun and just what it's like, you know, how how lucky and wonderful it is to be out there and don't lose sight of that no matter how you're playing because she would grumble like, of course, you're going to not be playing so good all the time. You know, (laughs) you've got your ups and downs. you got the rubs of the green, like all that's going to happen. And who are you kidding? You know, don't kid yourself that you're, you're on tour yourself. And if you are on tour, don't forget to enjoy and have fun and look at the sky and look at the grass and, and all. So uh, she was she was emphasizing that, I noticed, I, I thought, you know, even more in her later years. Uh, and 
And I think that it's true. You know, it's not like we want to let go of our competitive nature or our burning no. desire to be the best that we can. That's, they're not in opposition to each other. Those things, in fact, are served by being being part of nature and remembering mm-hmm. to enjoy yourself and, and play with enjoyment, play with appreciation, play with uh, social connection. And that, that sense of connectedness is, is absolutely essential. So, uh, and, and actually serves our, our excellence. You know, and, and I think too, you know, really, it's it goes back to again having fun and enjoying yourself uh both on and off the golf course i know interest something interesting you know uh, as you know uh cindy miller and i uh host the women of golf on tuesdays and we we've talked uh with a number of now the epson tour players uh over the year and so far and uh, obviously prior to that was the smetra but um one of the interesting things that we had come across was with a lot of the players, uh, especially the first-time winners, for a long time, uh, and again, obviously, you, you have to, you know, really get out there and grind to, you know, to play your best when you're competing against, you know, the best players in the world. Um, but there comes a point in time when you have to say to yourself, "I've got to have fun at what I'm doing. It can't all feel. It can't feel like a job. It can't feel like work. Either, even though I've chosen this as a profession." I've got to have fun doing it. And what was really interesting, and this was something we talked about recently on the show, was we had a group of young women who had come up through the, uh, you know, through the Epson and had never won an event until that particular uh, broadcast. And there was about five of them, as I recall. And every one of them said the same thing, almost verbatim, uh, verbatim excuse me, was that they were you know, out grinding, out doing what they needed to do. And then all of a sudden, they just got to a point where they weren't enjoying themselves, and they said, you know what, I'm just going to go out there and have some fun. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I know I, need, I, I can do, and, and that's all I can do. But I'm going to go out and enjoy myself and not get myself so worked up and so uh, you know, negative because I don't hit every shot the way I want or every putt doesn't go down. And what was really interesting is every single one of them went on to win that next week. And so, you know, there's a lot, and the point point that I was drawing back to is something that you said, and that is surely, you know, said, look, you know, and I'm just paraphrasing, is basically, you know, you've got to get out and smell the roses. You've got to get out and enjoy the day and and have fun at what you're doing. And if you're not, um, you know, you're not really living. And I think that was really what their generation um, did. I mean, don't get me wrong. I guarantee every one of them, uh, the founders and, and beyond, were very competitive, but I think they also learned that, you know what, you have to be out and, um, you, you know, you've got to be around friends, you've got to do other things, and you can't just bottleneck yourself into a mindset that if I'm not winning every week or if I'm not hitting every shot just perfect, that it's the end of the world. Um, there's just too many other things to enjoy. And I think that's really the message that they were trying to convey was, you know what, you've got to go out and have some fun. And that's why she did so many other things, the trick shots, the you know, the this and the that. That's why they did that is because they believed in, in really, um, yes, being competitive, but also giving back in, in a lot of different ways. And sometimes it was just going out and having some good old-fashioned fun. What do you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, 
again, I knew Shirley the last 20 years of her life or so, and uh, Marilyn about the last 10. Um, and they were always laughing. They were always had humor in their stories. They, uh, they were just, they had a good time. And they talk about the good times that they had uh, all along the way and also way back when. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, some of their, some of the really fun stories were, they would caravan from one town to the next, from one tournament to the next, and they had to have uh, signals. Like if uh, <laughs> they had like different colored flags and different color hand signals from one car to the next in the caravan, saying, "Hey, I got a piece. Stop for the bathroom. Stop for right. gas. Hey, I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> you know, whatever it was. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I mean, they. They definitely had, uh, they were just alive. I think that is, I mean, there's so many life lessons, right? But this one about just basically right. being alive, which means having a sense of humor, having fun with what you're doing, um, you know, being serious, but also having fun. And the friendships, the community, doing it together, getting somewhere uh, through togetherness has always been a, a big theme as well. So, um yeah, they were good at that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Seeing those things well, and, 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 um, yeah, it is, it's a beautiful thing to see people um, at any stage in life, but certainly, you know, in your 80s up to your 90s and uh, theoretically past your prime, still being like in their prime as far as mm-hmm. their their energy, their passion, their uh, communicativeness, their uh, socialness and their awareness of of everybody at different ages and stages in their golf in their life and just being part of it i mean they were both part of things literally until until they passed and what a great way to live right yeah exactly and and doing something that you love doing and and giving back that you know that's the thing that struck me is it wasn't all about them i mean they played an important role in, in the development of of the LPGA and and uh, its organization, um, but it was really about giving back in other ways as well. And as I said, it wasn't really just about them. Um, certainly, they did get uh, you know noticed as as time went on and more and more and and were celebrated as with the Hall of Fame. But it was really about what they could do to make it better for the generations to follow. They were very very uh, selfless, if you will. Uh, in doing that. One final question I want to ask you, and, and this is one here that uh, I think is interesting, is you know, golf as a game obviously is changing um, from what we might typically uh, refer to it as. Uh, it's becoming more and more entertainment-driven, uh, especially among today's younger golfers, uh, you know, a la Top Golf and, and other uh, organizations out there that are making it more of an entertainment. Given that a third of all new golfers or more are young women. Is this an opportunity, do you think, for the LPGA to take a lead role in helping develop this new direction? Um, and I'm not saying it's going to overtake everything, but this is what a lot of the younger generation and the up-and-coming, uh, not just the millennial, but the Gen Z and, and beyond, um, are looking at. They're looking at it at a much different lens than what you and I maybe, and sure, certainly what... Uh, Shirley and Marilyn and the other founders uh, did, this is becoming a big part of the game. 
is this an opportunity for the LPGA, do you think, to really, I'm sure they're doing it in many ways, but to really take a lead role in this? Because I think this is going to be a direction not only that golf is going to take as a general rule, but this might also be a way of bringing more and more young women to the game than what we already are seeing now. And it's already a, a big upsurge over the last several years. Uh, as I said, a third of all new golfers at least are young females coming to the game. Um, and I think part of it is because they see um, not just an opportunity. Obviously, some of them are wanting to have careers, I'm sure, in, in the golf business. But a lot of them is they're seeing the entertainment value of getting out there with friends and so forth and doing something new. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think, you know, <laughs> the direction of um, called, uh, entertainment or let's call it accessibility, kind of um, making golf uh, less elite, more accessible, and top golf mm-hmm. things like that are doing that, making golf, golf cool. And that's, right. that's certainly been happening as you see, you know, the, some of the younger players, they're the cool, the way they dress, what they're into, they get their headphones on when they're practicing and, you know, um, on their phones right. and all, you know, all these <laughs> kinds of things. So, um, I mean, I think that that's important so that golf doesn't seem like it's the old, uh, what was a gentleman only you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And right. Sort of the stuffy country club. Older, yeah. Yeah, all that, all that sort of thing. So I think that, that that's really important. I think the founders themselves were at the sort of leading edge of the times. And so if this mm-hmm. is what's happening in the times, then, you know, like, yeah, let's go that, that direction. And I think the LPGA through LPGA uh, girls golf sites, golf programs has been very innovative and uh, and, and will continue to be. The LPGA has a lot of initiatives right now around diversity and inclusion, and that's very important uh, because the game, honestly, is still predominantly white um, white men, but, right. and it, but that's changing. And the LPGA, um, actually out of necessity, after the 2007-8 crash, I mean, the tour just about fell apart completely, and corporate sponsorships were, you know, pretty much disappeared. And uh, Mike Wan, is, when he was commissioner, <clears throat> uh, led the way for the LPGA to become global. And in that globalization, having tournaments in, on different continents, different countries, and, mm-hmm. you know, more uh, Asian players, European players, um, uh, Indian, uh, Thai players, Korean. Uh, of course, you know, the LPJ probably uh, uh, as a tour has members and stars who are not only American. Um, in fact, we've been struggling right. uh, uh, to, to have right. some great American players. There, there's so many. Um, but so the globalization of the game, uh, I think, has been championed by the LPGA. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, – you know, we're kind of moving in that direction and taking leadership. Um, you know, back in the day, this is kind of interesting. There are, I don't know if you've seen that there were golf clubs, Shirley Sport Clubs, uh, Marilyn Smith, mm-hmm. Patty Berg, right? Their signatures are on the golf club. Yep. And uh, so it's interesting to hear a lot of that history. Shirley talked about it a lot. I can go into it. But um, part of their business women's sense back in the 50s was, hey, we need to get the golf club manufacturers, uh, factors who in those days were more the you know Spaldings, Wilson Staff, um, right. Craft, which later became Titleist. Uh, they they you know walked into those offices and said, "You need a woman on your staff." 
And uh, so, and they, they got on staff and then they got their own line of clubs and signature clubs. Now the idea at that point to get more women involved was to have the wives play kind of thing. Right. Um, but right. You know, at, at that time that was still a little bit uh, leading edge and that really wasn't their idea. It was just for the wives. I mean, they were looking to have, create some great players. And as I said, I mm-hmm. mean, you had Mickey Wright and Kathy Whitworth, you had great, the greatest of the game uh, 10 years after the, the tour was founded. So, um, but anyways, the idea is that, um, you know, they had that, that concept to think about back in the fifties to go, Hey, you know, walk in and say, you need me on your staff. You need women on your staff and make me a line of golf clubs. And, um, I found uh, Shirley's original brochure from golf craft and they got them, uh, these golf companies to send them, or that was part of their, their marketing, send them around on, on tours and, um, you know, to promote, women in the game and to, just to promote the game and, that, and to promote the new tour. So, I mean, that may sound like, oh, yeah, duh, today, but back in the 50s and early mid-50s, that was, that was um, you know, that was cutting-edge stuff, and they were not shy about it, and they were aware of it. They had, again, the business acumen, the business minds to, to pursue that and just charge right out there. So, um yeah, you know, and uh, Shirley, uh, Shirley never mints words, and she's certainly had plenty of critiques, let me say, about her baby, the LPGA. Um, it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, she, she or they were on board with everything the LPGA has done, but they were always wanting to make the LPGA better and to keep that right. that original fire that the LPGA was born in, to keep it to keep it alive and keep stoking that fire so that we are and continue to be on the leading edge for, you know, for, for the game as a whole and especially for women in, um, you know, I, I would say minorities, people who haven't traditionally been in the game to, to be in the game and to be, um, you know, to do, have opportunities in every aspect of the game, whether it's in, you know, the golf industry or, uh, or as tour players or collegiate players, et cetera. Yeah, it definitely the LPGA has become very, very diverse uh, in its in its players. Um, I think even more so than the men's tour. I mean, certainly there are a lot of international players on the men's tour, but I think there's a broader diversity on the LPGA and has been for some time. To the point that you're right in saying that it's getting tougher and tougher for some of the American ladies to to really uh, you know throw their hat in the ring because they're you know really becoming outnumbered by international players. Um, so they're having to st- even step up their game that much more. Whereas, you know, not that long ago it was the other way around, where it was a very, um, you know, American-dominated uh, um, tour, and now, you know, they're really, for lack of better words, sort of become the minority on the tour because there is such a, a diversity coming in. And I think it's been good for the game, and it's helped to make it a, a much bigger global platform. And obviously, Mike Wan uh, was instrumental in helping to do that early on. But again. Um, the founders really set the stake, if you will, uh, very early on and had a long-term vision, which uh, I think is starting to, to come to fruition. So um, we definitely thank uh, Shirley, and uh, I think the LPGA and, and uh, golf in general are certainly going to miss her, uh, her input and her uh, spark, if you will, but uh, she definitely will not be forgotten. Um, Jamie, I want to thank you, and unfortunately we've got to wrap up because I'm getting ready for my next guest. But uh, I'm glad uh, – I hate that you had a, a flat on the highway, but uh, I'm glad that you uh, are okay and were able to, to join me uh, for most of it. And I appreciate your, your input and uh, sharing a little bit about Shirley 
uh, on the show. And as always, I'll give you a moment or two to uh, uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out. Yeah, well, thank you, Ted. Um, this just happened to be a, a time that we got to talk about Shirley, and I really appreciate that. Um, it, it, uh, there's just so much to say, uh, so thank you and, and for honoring her in that way and giving me an opportunity to share some of my, my appreciation and love of her. Um, people can contact me through my website, which is uh, The Centered Way, like center, the center of the, the universe, right? But center, E-D, thecenteredway.com or Kiai Golf, which is my holistic approach to golf instruction, uh, K-I-A-I, golf.com. Uh, so reach out to me that way, so sign up, get on my mailing list. And um, I always say I love to talk, as you can see. So um, people can give me a phone <laughs> call at 760-492-4653. I'm back in the States. I've been, I've been away. And uh, I don't know if you know that I mm-hmm. also I just got back from Poland. I was able to volunteer and mm-hmm. do some uh, stress and trauma relief trainings using the same principles that we use in golf mm-hmm. um, with the Ukrainian refugee mothers and children. So now it's um, really a very, mm-hmm. very profound experience. Um, so, yeah, just mm-hmm. reach out to me, uh, Jamie at thecenteredway.com, Jamie at kigolf.com, or 760-492-GOLF-4653. And people can find me also on Facebook or LinkedIn, that sort of thing. Perfect. Well, Jamie, as always, thank you very much for for, uh, joining me. Be safe and have a great uh, weekend, and I will see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Sounds good. Thanks for joining me. Okay. Thank you, Ted. Okay. Bye. Bye, -bye. Bye, everybody. All right. Jamie Leno-Zimron joining me on the Coach's Corner for a little bit abridged version, if you will. Unfortunately, uh, Sue was not able to join us, um, but uh, we managed to cover, I think, a, a very interesting topic. Shirley Spork, of course, one of the co-founders of the LPJ organization, passed away last Tuesday uh, at the age of 94, so she's certainly going to be missed by not only the organization, but those that knew her well. Um, before I introduce my special guest of the evening, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, joining me this evening is my very special guest, and he's become a good friend over the years, uh, Mr. Barry Goldstein. I'll tell you a little bit about him. He's a, a professional golf instructor, and in the winter, he's based out of Coral Springs, Florida, and I believe right now he's headed up to Binghamton, New York, which is his home. Uh, he's received recognition for teaching everyone from junior golfers, amateurs, and professional golfers alike. Uh, he was born and raised, in, as I said, in Binghamton, New York, and attended the Binghamton High School. Uh, he was the captain of the ice hockey team and a baseball player and ultimately decided to play baseball at Florida Atlantic University. Uh, once his baseball career had ended, he turned uh, to golf, uh, quickly took to the game uh, competing as an amateur golfer. Uh, his focus uh, soon shifted to the teaching side of golf, which he's been doing now for many years, and was uh, selected as one of America's top 25 instructors by Golf Tips magazine. And 
I would say probably in his mind, one of the biggest uh, personal accomplishments would be uh, coach and caddy uh, for his lovely daughter Carly, who won the Florida State golf title in 2012 and was a member of the LSU Tigers golf team. Please welcome my very special guest, Mr. Barry Goldstein. Good evening, Barry. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Ted. That was very nice. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you, my friend. I apologize I took a little bit longer to, to get to you, but uh, we wrapped up a little bit later on the first segment. So welcome back, because I know you've been on the show a number of times, and I appreciate that uh, always uh, for you joining sure. me. Let me let me ask you something here before we, because uh, I know we're going to have some folks, uh, I know we've got one sitting here right now that's, uh, that's calling in, so we'll get to them in just a moment. Um, sure. But what was it that led you to, to golf? I mean, obviously you played baseball, you played other sports, and that. How did golf sort of come across to your view? Wow, that's a great question, and um, I'll just give you the flat out. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. You know, I was always into hockey and baseball. Those were my two sports, and I had an uncle, an Uncle Len, who took me, and all I had was a five iron, a nine iron, and a putter. And somehow, I don't know, I was able to get it around the golf course pretty good the first time I ever played. You know, I was long. I could hit the five iron like 200 yards back then. And um, he just kept saying, Barry, you could be really good at this game. And I just took to it. And, you know, I was much more into baseball and ice hockey. I just wasn't as into golf. And then moved to Florida when I was 17 years old. And that was it. All the beautiful courses. Got locked in on golf by the time I was in my you know, early 20s, I was really into it. And, you know, I think one of the things I love most about it, to be honest, Ted, is the, the field that it's played on. I love golf courses. They're absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, from Pebble Beach to uh, Florida to just the courses around the country and the world are beautiful amphitheaters. They're gorgeous, you know, and I think that attracted me in a way. Yeah, I, I, I concur with you. I mean, um, you know, golf courses, obviously, they've changed over the, the decades uh, to different styles and different types. Typically, they were very much like uh, uh, sort of a Pinehurst, you know, very wooded and what. Now you have a link style out there. You have uh, wider fairways. Before, traditionally, you had to be pretty accurate off the tee. Now you can just grip it and rip it, as they say, and get out there, and you have a little bit more landing area. But um, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I was kind of like you. I got into it very, very young. I was introduced, in my case, by my father, and uh, you know, just gradually progressed from there. But I, I agree with you. I think, uh, in my mind, anyways, there was nothing more beautiful than getting out uh, early in the morning on the golf course and and uh, casting very the true. first few footprint, the first few footprints in the dew, if you will. So we're going to take some calls. I, we've got a few people. So uh, the callers, I know you can hear me. So I'm going to do it this way, just so that you know that I'm calling you. Uh, on you rather, um, is I'm going to list off the last four digits of your number. So um, the first caller is calling from the 850 area code, uh, number 4474. Um, welcome to the show, and do you have a question for uh, Barry? Hey, yeah, this uh, this is Michael Wollstonecraft. How you doing, Coach? What's going on, Mr. Goldstein? Oh, pleasure to be your coach, Mike. This is a great guy right here, great player <laughs> A left-handed stud who hits the ball a long way. I've been coaching him for a long time. I'm doing great, Mike. I haven't seen you since in Orlando. <laughs> I was staying, uh, yeah. teaching Lev, the, the number one 12-year-old in the world. I stayed with him for a week to coach yeah. him. And you, you came out just to see this kid. 
I wasn't lying about him, was I, Mike? Absolutely not. It was incredible. Uh, yeah, I had I had no idea you had the number one uh, junior rank golf in the world. But Barry brought me out there. We were I'm not sure if it was the IMG or uh, which academy it was. Obviously, probably the top rank academy in the world. Uh, this kid, Barry wanted him to get up and down nine times in a row and do it twice. Uh, he was trying to build his confidence up. I mean, Kim, yep. how do you build a 12-year-old that's number one in the world's confidence <laughs> up? It's beyond me. Uh, I watched him hit a couple bunker shots from 10, 20, 30 yards out. He was he was hitting it just like the tour players. When I mean tour players, I mean like your, your Jordan Spieth, your Justin Thomases, your Woods. It, I mean, whatever Barry's done to him is incredible. Uh, a question for you, though. Like, I'm curious. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I was curious, where, where do you think – did Lev – I'm not sure if he's still in the States. because I'm not sure if he is from Ukraine or what's going on with that. I don't want to get too political. Um, did sure. he go back did home? Is he going to – how is that going to work with the golf stuff? Well, in my, in my opinion, I always felt like my daughter, Carly Ray, was the greatest golfer I'd ever raised and taught. You know, amazing. Ranked first in Florida, 60th in the world. Lev was ranked, I went as a 12-year-old, one in the world. He's now ranked, I think, three in the world for age 14. He's back in Belgium, his father and him. They got stuck in the United States, Ted, for a while and um, because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I, I met him three years ago, and I taught him for a long time. And then they were stuck here. You know, they weren't able to fly back to their home country. So finally, they're able to fly back to Belgium. And he just won a huge tournament over there, Mike. Um, I think he shot 71, 68, 71. He's 14 now. He beat a Ooh. bunch of guys that are professional golfers. Wow. He also played oh, the U.S. Wow. Open qualifier last year. He was the youngest kid ever to get to the second stage of U.S. Open qualifying. You probably might have seen him on the Golf Channel. Um, Lev's a great kid. I love the kid. Um, literally like a son to me. I love the kid. He, I wish he could hear this interview. Maybe I'll send it to him uh, tomorrow. But, yeah, he's doing great, Mike. Thanks for asking. Anything I can help you with on your golf game? Yeah, um, obviously you know about me with my medical stuff. I'm, I'm making a massive, massive comeback right now. I, I had a, a six-inch tumor removed from my spinal cord three years ago. It was a, a very late ongoing emergency surgery up in Raleigh, North Carolina. A hot shot uh, neurosurgeon was actually a pretty good golfer. Saved my life. He caught it last minute. And I'm doing great now. It's it's obviously a slow specific recovery. I'm, I was at the Chubbs Classic. I got to walk inside the ropes with Bernhard Longer. My dad actually played the piano at his house years ago. They were doing the Bible studies for the PGA Tour with him and Bob Estes and a couple others. I think maybe even Zach Johnson might have been there. Or Zach mm-hmm. might have been on the Hooters Tour coming up. Yeah, how's remember your that. Game now, Mike? Mike, how's your game doing right now? Like, how, where are you at? Well, we're going to – yeah, I mean, everything's going okay right now as planned. I'm, I think I'm able to hit it up to about 302 with the driver, flying at about 270 to 280. I think it's just right now I'm taking things slow because I'm obviously still regenerating. I'm not jogging or running yet. So I think next time I see you, whether that's the end of this year or early next year, it, it's go time. When I mean go time, we're going to throw it down. But it's it's well, more of, you know, one, one thing that I like with, with Barry is, Whatever he does with me, it's, it's instantaneous. It just, he's able to break down the golf swing in such a layman's common sense way. He doesn't articulate it to the point where it's like reading Mozart. <laughs> it's just easier to understand coming because he's a player, he's a player and he's a coach and he can do it well, I'll all. Give you, so, and I'll give you a good tip, Mike. Here's, here's a yeah. thought for you. Mike is, uh, 
Ted, he grew up with some great players. He grew up with Brian Harmon and um, Russ Henley. He put me on the phone with Russ Henley. Russ was kicking my tires about taking some lessons from me, and these guys are PGA Tour winners. Mike, here's a tip for you, okay? Even though you didn't give me a direct question, I think I know where you're going. I would work on the same stuff I taught you when you were down at Inverary Country Club with me and my daughter that day. Your grip, your stance, your posture, and a balanced finish. That's what helped you so much that day. And mm-hmm. you said you just yep. took off after that. And that's what I would work on. You know, don't, don't keep it simple. Keep it simple as you can, mm-hmm. you know, that's the old expression. Keep it simple, stupid. Just keep it simple. Yeah. Like you got a good golf swing, bud. And I appreciate you calling in. You got a nice swing. Keep yeah. it simple. Yeah. I think that's Tiger Woods is uh, what Tiger Woods dad taught him. It was, uh, I think you, you actually, uh, you're friends with Tiger. Uh, I remember you saying something a couple of times about playing with him in the Dixie open or one of the, the tournaments back in the day. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, Russell, I got to hang out with Russell a little bit, the Players' Championship. Um, they had some crazy weather out there, and it was actually finished on a Monday. Um, I ran into Russell on the back nine, and we hung out for a little bit after that. I just He was one of my That's one awesome. of my neighbors growing up in Macon, Georgia. Mm-hmm. He's a very good friend of mine, and if Barry ever got a hold of him, you're, you're looking at a guy that could win a lot of majors. <laughs> uh, unbelievable talent. I remember when you had him, I, I talked to Russell, and – he was, you know, talking. Yeah, he was talking to me about working on his game. I just haven't done it with him yet. But hey, PGA Tour winner several times over. Obviously, a talented guy. But Mike, thanks for calling in. Get your yeah, get your health in order, and yep. I'll look forward to seeing you down in Fort Lauderdale. Yep, it'll more than likely right. be next year. Absolutely. Talk to you guys soon. You thanks. It, All right. Thanks for calling in. All right. Appreciate it, Mike. Hey, thanks for your call. All right, we're going to move on to another caller. Uh, caller, this is uh, your four digits are twenty three eighty two. Uh, welcome to the show, and do you have any questions for Barry? Hi, welcome. You're on live with Barry. Hello? Yes, hi. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So, hi, Barry. Hi, who is this? I'm Ben. Ben, how are you? Oh, hey, I'm good. This, kid, this kid's a talented junior golfer out of Boca Raton, Florida. Just won a huge tournament, shot a 74, so I took him out for a steak dinner this winter. Told him if he ever broke 80, I was buying him a steak dinner. He broke 80 by six shots and beat like 16 kids, took the scoreboard home with him. What can I do for you, Ben? I miss you. I'll see you. Ben comes up to see me here in upstate New York a couple of times per summer, and then I work with him regularly in Florida. His father, I've known him for years. He's one of my brother's best friends. Ben's just a great kid. I've been teaching him since he's four years old. What is your question, kiddo? So, it is, what are a few things that you would tell a beginner to focus on? Oh, my gosh, Ben. Well, I use you as an example. I met Ben when he was four. He's all of 11 now. You're 11, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think for beginners, grip, aim, stance, posture, ball position, and a balanced finish is more than enough to focus on. And having a great routine. Finish. I'm always after you to have a good finish and a great routine. Am I not, Ben? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll be harping on that for the rest of your career. Ben's going to play college golf, Ted. He's a talented young guy. Um, You know, he lives in a great community for golf. He plays tournaments. God, he probably plays 30 tournaments a year, and – He's starting to have success, and you know what that does, Ted. That 
that lit mm-hmm. a fire under him. You know, he had he had shot some eighty ones and eighty twos, eighty threes, and I said, if you ever break eighty, Ben, I'm buying you a steak dinner. Took the kid to Outback. <laughs> he, he ate a huge steak and a giant ice cream, and I, I just really like this kid. He's you know, some kids, you just take them under your wing. He, I took them under my wing, and my heart's invested in his game. So that kid's going to play college golf. Ben, for a beginner, grip, aim, stance, posture, ball position, having solid routines. So when you're nervous, you can fall back on your routine. Thanks so much for calling, Ben, and I miss you, buddy. I really miss you. Yeah, of course. I'll see you in a All couple right, well, thank weeks you. in New York. Yep. I can't wait to club All there. Right. Can't wait, All right. buddy. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben, for calling yeah. in. All right, we're going to move on to players. our next caller. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Barry. Go ahead. These are good players. The, the first caller, Michael's an excellent, very good player, wants to play professionally, and Ben's going to play college golf. So these are two very talented players. Go ahead, Ted. Ready for the next one. Very good. All right, we're going to go to our next caller, uh, calling from 3211. Hi, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. You're on with Barry Goldstein. How can we help you? Hey, Barry. Hey, it's Annabelle. Um, Hi, Annabelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, man, I'm great, especially now that you called. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> um, how would you say the best way to spend, like, one hour at the range is? For you, Annabelle, or for somebody else? For you? Uh, For me. Okay, Ted. This young lady is going to play college golf. She's an excellent player. 14 years, 13 or 14 years old. I just spent three days with her in McLean, Virginia. And and I think the world of her. She's very talented. For you, the way I would spend an hour, I could care if you even hit a golf ball. I want you to work on your putting so much, Annabelle, until putting is better than your full swing because – you're doing great. I just caddied for her in a tournament, Ben, uh, Ted, and she hit tons of great golf shots. But, you know, she's two years into the game, and she free putts too often. So we're going to work on that until it mm. goes away and it becomes a strength of her game. And she comes from a great yep. family. Her father is totally immersed. Her sister, Emmy, is a very good player. So I would work on, Annabelle, nothing but your putting, especially your first putt being able to stop at 6, 8, 10 inches behind the hole. She has a hard time getting that first putt, Ted. She'll leave it 8 feet mm-hmm. short, 10 feet long. And, you know, she's a fighter. She's got a huge spirit to play, and she's got everything it takes. She doesn't, she'll, she'll sit out there with me for seven hours straight working on her golf game. So I know she's going to be a very good player. She's shooting in the 80s and low 90s. I want to get her into the 70s ASAP. So, Annabelle... Say hello to your entire family, and what I would work on more than anything, putting, chipping, pitching, and bunker play, your full swing has come along so beautifully. we got to get your short game to catch up with your full swing. Okay, thank you. You got then, it. All right, well, Annabelle. Hey, Barry, is there a right. question too? Sure. Sure, go ahead. She's got a sister, <laughs> She's got a sister who's talented, too. So go ahead with your question. So, um, what are tips to read the green better? Say that again, honey. Ooh. How do you read the greens tips? better? Ah, great what question. What are tips this... to read the greens better? Okay, so she wants to know how to read the greens better, correct, Ted? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, I give Emmy. You're so young. She just won a medal in a tournament that I was at two weeks ago, and 
you know, I gave her this awesome putting tip that helped her a ton, and she meddled. And I think a great way for someone as young as you to read greens is really simple. The best place to read the green, Emmy, is as you're walking up to it. Imagine when you're in a movie, if you're in the first row, you don't really see the movie that good. But if you go to the back row, you can see everything. When you're off the green, Emmy, start looking at the contour. And always picture if it was really raining out very hard, which way the water would run off the green. So if the water, you're never going to hit a putt that goes the opposite way of the way the water would run off the green. So if I was a girl like you that was young and talented, I would think first, where does the water run off this green? Because that's the way the putts are going to break. They're always going to go that way. So look at it that simply and realize when you're uphill, you've got to give it more of a, more of a stroke to get it there. And when you're downhill, you give it less of a stroke to get it there. I think those are two good tips. Emmy, how old are you, like eight? I'm nine. Emmy is yeah. nine, Ted, and she's already meddling in U.S. kids tournaments. This kid's going to be, she's going to be a great wow. player. I would look at it. Yeah, she's a good little player, and her sister Annabelle is too. <laughs> Emmy, I would look at it that simply. Um, which okay. way is the water falling off of the green? Because that's the way the putts are going to roll. And remember mm-hmm. the tip about the movies. If you're in the front row, you can't really see the movie that well. Start reading the green as you're walking up to it. It's the best place where you can yeah. see what it's going to do. Perfect. I think yeah, those are. Thanks, Annabelle. I, I, <laughs> what a nice. What I think nice that's a, I think that's a great a great yeah I think that's a, some great advice for both young ladies. All right, thanks ladies Thank for calling you, in. Ted. All right, you know yeah, one no problem. thing All about right. those two girls—they're both tournament players. All three of the people we've talked to, all four of them are all tournament players, and tournament mm-hmm. golf's a little different than just messing around with your friends, and so they need ways to get better, you know, permanently, not like a band aid. So I try to give them things that will last a lifetime. Well, and, uh, you know, you really hit it right on the nose, too, with really both of them uh, is the putting. You know, we I have the, the pleasure of interviewing a lot of the, uh, as I was mentioning to my earlier guest, uh, coming off the Epson Tour and, of course, the LPGA. And one of the number one areas that almost all of them, uh, when they do have a difficulty in their game, is almost always on the green. Uh, most of them can hit sure. well off the tee. Most of them can, they wouldn't get there if they weren't. But every one of them, it's their putting that lets them down. So I think it's some great advice to give both of those young ladies. If they're hitting the ball Thank pretty you. decent, those kinks can be worked out along the way. But if you become a, a really good putter, and I mean a really good putter, you can save a lot of strokes in that golf course and bring those For numbers sure. down real quick. So before some great advice. Next, All right, we got another. Before, can I just say one thing yep. before we take our next call, Chief Ted? For all of those sure. callers. You know, it's not how good you are at age 8 and 9 and 11. It's, I, I, it's funny. You, know, you saw the girl that just won the LPGA major, Kupko from Wake Forest. She just, uh, I think it's yep. Jennifer Kupko. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I remember her when she'd play against my daughter. My daughter would be winning everything, and she'd be coming in 18th and 20th. You know, she wasn't a, a star at age 11 and 12 and 13. She just made herself over a million dollars a couple of weeks ago winning a major. Yep. So. It's about improving. You know, my daughter Carly Ray would be shooting 68 at age 12. She'd be shooting 85, you know. So I told Annabelle that story because it isn't where you're at when you're 13. Get great from 17 on up, you know. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have a daughter as a world-class player, and I got to see all of that up close. You know what I mean, Ted? Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there, you know. Yep. 
I agree. All right, we're going to take another call. Uh, caller from 2412. Hello, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. And you're here with Barry Goldstein. Do you have a question? Hi, Barry. Hi, welcome. Yeah. Oh. I'm 10 years old. Would you say there are any benefits for a girl my age to start golf? And if so, what are they? Oh, my gosh. Mia, how are you? Yeah. First of all, thanks for calling in. I'm smiling. This is a great kid. These are great questions. Um, <laughs> I'm smiling just talking to this girl. Um, Mia's an awesome girl who's a good at, you know, she, she's a good swimmer. She's a good dancer. And she, you know, she's a tennis player. She'd probably do very well at golf. Um, she just asked some great questions. I think the benefits of somebody 10 years old taking up golf, I'll just give it to you from my daughter's perspective because I see Mia kind of that way. She, you know, what confidence it gives a person when they're, my daughter could interact with adults just as good as kids when she was 10, 11, 12 years old because golf just puts a maturing on you at a young age. You know, you, you learn how mm-hmm. to act around other people. There's an etiquette and a maturity that's different than most other sports. You know, there's an honesty that goes with it and an integrity that goes with it that somebody like Mia, if she took up the game, would learn quickly that you interact with people and there's just a way, there's a correct way to play golf that, almost everybody abides by. And I saw it with my own daughter, Mia, 10 years old. She'd come to the golf course, and I would literally, as I was teaching, she would go out and play with three adults. She'd be gone for five hours with three fully grown adults, catch up with me five, six hours later and tell me how she played, and the guys would come up and say what a pleasure it was to play with her. She was in fifth grade, sixth grade, playing with people Mm -hmm. that are 40 and 50 years old. And it, she was just there was a maturity to her because of golf. It's hard to put that into words. It just lends toward that. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of sport. Another thing, Mia, that it benefits, I think golf is great at teaching you about life because anything Mm -hmm. you get in golf, you earn. There's nothing given. Like everything I've ever done with my golf career is because I worked my tail off to have blisters on my hands. It's my daughter, calluses on her hands. I think it's a lot like life, Mia, like, if you work it at hard and smart, good things happen. If you look for shortcuts, you don't get very good. And I think life is a lot like that, you know, and I think successful people mm-hmm. have a certain way they do things and they do it the right way. Like I feel like my whole career, I've just done everything the right way and it's led to a lot of success. People that do things the quick way and they try to take shortcuts. Golf's probably the wrong. It's a hard sport to be good at if you don't learn it the right way, but Mia, those are great questions, and it's really good to hear your voice. I appreciate your calling in. Thanks, Barry. You're welcome, and say hello to your beautiful mom. Is that Liz? <laughs> yes. Tell your beautiful mom I said <laughs> hi, and Mia. Mia, you're such a good kid. You would do great at golf. You'll do great at anything you take up because you're just you're like a winner. Everything you do is good, so you would do great at golf or anything else. Thanks for calling in, honey. You're welcome. See you soon. All right, thanks Mia for thanks Mia for calling in and yeah, some great questions. It's interesting and you know the last three callers have all been uh, uh, you know Ben and and Annabelle and her sister uh, Emmy and uh, now Mia, all young golfers, very enthusiastic, wanting to learn how to play this great game. And you know the juniors obviously are the are going to be the future of golf and you know we want to get that excitement. Get, get them early. I mean, I, I was fortunate, uh, as I know you were, 
to be able to to play a lot of sports and to get uh, interested in the things. And obviously, I was um, with my father. He was able to get me out very early on the golf course. And I'm very, very grateful. It's opened so many doors. And you're exactly right. It helps uh, to mature you, I think, uh, much quicker than sometimes yeah. uh, when you're not doing anything and you're, you know, you're out. Well, you know what I'm, where I'm going with that. But um, just a lot of great opportunities. Um, you know, we're not all destined to play on the PGA or the LPGA Tour. Exactly. But, um, exactly. But you, you know what's but really there's funny? Other you things. Know, Mia, being the kind of kid, you know, I, I know her a lot. And, you know, I'm kind of crazy about her mom, so that's how I know her. And Mia would do good at golf if she tried it, you know, and took it up. And I think there's a lot of kids out there that maybe have not been, what's the word I'm looking for, shown golf. Exposed. Or, you know, just haven't been Ex- re- yeah, exposed, exposed to it. it. And that's all it takes is one exposure, and they say, wow. This is a great sport. I could play this game the rest of my life. And, you know, obviously, I'll give you a story. I was at my daughter's wedding. You know, Carly Ray was a world-class player, mm-hmm. played for the LSU Tigers, and she married this awesome guy, Cameron, who's like my son now, you know, a baseball player. And I looked around right. at their wedding and their wedding party. And this is what, me, if you're still listening, this is what golf really does. Cameron's wedding party was all these successful, young, good-looking, athletic guys that were baseball players and Carly's wedding party, all these LSU graduates, successful, beautiful athletes, <laughs> professional golfers, you know, and they're all just kind of winners in life, if you know what I mean, Ted. And yeah. I just thought to myself, wow, you know, I gave my daughter the gift of golf for life, and look what it's, it's just given her. She would have met the man she ended up marrying if it wasn't for golf because she wouldn't have been at LSU, you know. And mm-hmm. I just think for someone like Mia or Ben or Annabelle or Emmy, there's just so many great things about golf that it's just outside of it even, like the fact that I'll just use my daughter as an example, you know, she's played with two presidents, two, and mm-hmm. mayor. There, there was a mayor in Coral Springs, Florida, that made her mayor for the day when she won a national championship. Just amazing things oh, come wow. from golf. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it leads to a confidence that's hard for me to describe in words. Well, I, no, you've done very well. I think it's it, it opens a lot of doors too. There's a lot more people now that have played, um, you know, as a result of of companies they've worked to um, that never were exposed to the game and now have kind of in a roundabout way been forced to in order to be competitive within their own companies, and particularly women. I mean, I've had a number of uh, women who now are involved in the golf business who never had picked up a club for years. And they were tired of walking past the old water cooler and hearing the guys talk about, you know, their weekend foursomes that they had uh, out in the golf course and not really knowing anything about it. And they rose to the challenge and said, you know what, I'm going to get out there and learn this game and, and uh, have some fun and, and use it as a, a, a valuable business tool of, of networking and meeting uh, potential clients. And now they're very successful businesswomen who use golf as a business tool. Um, they meet people, they, you know, interact with people and it's opened a whole world for them that might, excuse me, might not have ever been available uh, had they not been, yeah. uh, you know, had they, yep. you, know, you know what I'm saying? So um, it, it's just a, a great game, but it, it, it's tough. But I think it goes back to what we just said is um, unlike so many other sports, golf is not as integrated in the younger school systems. And I would like to see that I wish you know, especially with as many presidents and that that have played golf over the years, I wish they had, would have mandated that 
and get it into the elementary levels. Um, just you know, let them have fun. Be exposed to it like they are with baseball and football and the other sports. Uh, hockey yep. is an example. And, and I think once they do, I think you'll see a lot more of them. And we are seeing a lot of, especially young women, coming to the game. But I'm going to shut up now. We're going to move on to another caller. Uh, we're going to bring caller on. Uh, your four, last four digits of your number are 0763. I'm going to bring you on now. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. And you're here with uh, professional golfer Barry Goldstein. Do you have a question? Barry, we've heard yeah. enough from the juniors. How, how about an old-timer? A very old sure. timer. Sure. Who is it? This Ben's dad. Oh, hey, Larry. How are you? <laughs> what can I do? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. You're not an old timer. Yeah, you're just you're he, you're a father he, of a he, very talented young guy. What can I do for you? He was so bud? excited. He was so excited to talk to you, and he's so he's well, looking forward to coming up to see you. And okay, great I got team. I got a quick question for you, which sure, is sure. okay. Uh, and what what you said, I just I got to say for a second. In these tournaments, okay, that we play in, these junior tournaments, the kids are so well-mannered and, and like, so smart and doing so well yep. in school. It's different than any other sport I've ever been involved so in true. with juniors. So yeah. true. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. So the question is, at these tournaments, okay, if, if, a, if a junior has a bad hole, okay, and, you know, it's hard for them to not dwell on it, what pointers do you have to help them to get over it and move on, Great you know, and put might it be behind. The best question. That might be the best question anybody could ask me. I'll just give you my daughter as an example. You know, I was always big on if Carly was four under par or four over par. I didn't want anybody to know by looking at her. She always had a little smile. And I think some great tips for that that I'll work on your son with, you got to be able to leave a bad hole behind, and if you make an eagle, you can't be jumping around like a maniac and, and getting out of your rhythm. You want to always stay in your routine. And I would say the best way to leave a poor hole behind is to fall back on your routine. I used to teach my daughter just to go over to the side of the green when she had a bad hole while the other person's punting out, do a little breathing, forget about it. We have this five-step rule. This is so valuable. I learned it from Tony Robbins when I was a kid. I was compared when I was a young teacher. This is before I had Carly. I was compared to Tony Robbins. They called me the Tony Robbins of golf somehow, and I didn't know who he was. Anthony Robbins is a famous. Uh, I guess he's a motivational speaker. So I googled him, and and I read a book he wrote. And he said, "Try the five step rule." And I said, "What is that?" Take five steps. On the sixth step, you've got to be mentally strong enough to leave what happened on the last hole behind. I use that with my daughter all the time, and we had another trick. Let's say it was a poor three-wood that she hooked into the lake. Before she put the three-wood in the bag, I would have her take a couple practice swings with it, get a positive vibe off that three-wood. So when she put it in the bag, the next time it came out, there was no negative fear. There was nothing against the three-wood, if you know what I mean. I would do stuff like that with her. And Carly was extremely mentally tough as a golfer, still is. You know, just won her 103rd tournament, that club championship. She's still mentally tough, but when she was really – in her prime, what I would say to her is, you can't let a bogey lead to another bogey. And she was smarter than me. She would, here's a great thing for all of our golfers. She, we learned this from Jack Nicklaus. Nicklaus told Carly, hey, if I bogeyed number one and I bogeyed number two, I figured I got my two bad holes out of the way early, and I'm going to play great golf in that 16 hole. And I think that's how my daughter mm-hmm. and I looked at golf. You know, we're both very positive people. 
And I think we always thought the next shot was going to be a great shot, Larry. And that, that's something you could start. Ben's probably listening right now. That's something I want you to drive into his head. <laughs> great great yeah, players make mistakes. There's not a player on the planet that doesn't make mistakes. It happens. You've got to embrace it. You almost have to embrace the inconsistency of golf because it's a lot like life, Larry. You know, things are going great, bang, something comes up. You know, your, 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 your relationships, you know, you're in love with a woman, something comes up. I mean, it, golf is just like that, and you've got to learn how to handle it and keep moving forward in a positive way. And I'll work on that more with Ben, and thanks for Thank calling you. in, Larry. I miss you guys, Thank and I'll you, see you and we'll soon. See you. We'll see you at uh, Thai time in, in Little Venice soon, okay? You got Be it. Good. Look forward to having you up from Florida. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Larry. Boy, you know, I just want to add um, – yeah, no, it is a great question. And I just want to add, you know, to this as well um, because I think it is a great question. This is one that a lot of golfers get – I always equate this, and, you know, Cindy uh, Miller and I, who, of course, uh, do our other program together, Women of Golf, on Tuesdays, and, you know, I always equate it to, um, you know, going to the airport. You know, we, we drag our baggage to the airport. Um, but at some point, you've got to check it in and you've got to move on. And I see some people coming to the golf course. They're bringing every bad hole they've ever played for the last, you know, year or two. They're bringing it in. And, and I, I, look at it, I look at it this way. There, there's two things, uh, really three things that you have to consider. Um, number one, you can't change the past. So whatever has happened, you can't change it. It's done. Um, the future hasn't happened yet, so all you have is now. That's the first thing you have to keep saying to yourself is, I can't change what's happened. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. All I have is right now. So you focus on the shot that you have right now. Um, and the other thing is, I think that as a player, you have to um, be willing to do is, even if you have a bad shot, and you just gave a great example about um, – leaving with a positive image. So keeping that three wood out and swing, making a good couple of practice swings for before sure. putting in the bag. For sure. Is you, every bad shot is, not a bad, is only a bad shot if you don't learn from it. It's always a learning opportunity. So you if know, you look at the, it. The, yeah, the truth is, you know, it's easy to say these things, you know, and then mm -hmm. having a daughter that was such a great player, Ted, and caddying for her in the U.S. Amateur. And, you know, there's positions that you can't teach that kind of intensity, you know. I mean, she's, she right. comes in six, she, she beats girls like Brooke Henderson, you know. She comes in 16th mm -hmm. in stroke play in the U.S. Amateur. You know, it's easy to talk about those things. But the way I found that you can actually do them, that five-step mm -hmm. rule that I stole from Anthony Robbins, man, I use that with my daughter a lot. <laughs> and, 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 I've used it a lot. And then if she did make a bad swing, I mean, she's not a machine. She was an 18-year-old girl, you know, and right. I would just say to her, let's make that rehearsal swing. By the time you put that club back in the bag, it's, it's, there's, there's no negative thoughts with it, and we're on the next tee box ready to play golf. And Carly was amazing yep. at that. Not everybody has that. And some people look mm -hmm. at life negatively and – you have to help them with that. You know, my daughter was like me. We always right. just thought the next one was going in the hole. Not everybody's like that. And so with somebody mm -hmm. like Ben, for example, or Annabelle, or these young, talented kids, these are all tournament players. I always compare it. If you were in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson, mad and dropped mm -hmm. your hand because you did something wrong, you'd get knocked out cold. 
you can't yep. get that way in the middle of the battle. After the battle, you could talk all you want yep. about the bad swing on number four. That's when to do it. When you're in the middle of a golf round, that's not the time to be beating yourself up and be angry. That's not the time to do it. And I used to compare it to, you know, I just say to Carly, if we're in a boxing match, I'm not going to drop my hands because I'm mad and get knocked out. I'm just going to keep fighting. When the round's over, that's when we'll discuss that poor decision we made on number six, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> and and that's when you and that's why you see so many of the better players, um, you know, they'll take whatever game they've got that day out in the golf course. And if there's some things that are bothering them, you know, they'll go back to the range after that round, and that's when they'll work them out. They don't try to work them out while they're in the middle of a tournament because that's just exactly. that's suicide. And you know, that's a what a lot of amateurs... I couldn't agree with you more. There's a kid that I teach, kid, he's not a kid anymore, but I've known him a long time, and he just won on the Corn Ferry Tour. He won himself a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm sure he's going to play on a PGA Tour next year. Let me tell you, things weren't easy for this guy. He had no success in his early, you know, 23, 24, 25. He was fighting for money, had no money. Well, he just won himself a huge event, and he's one of the top two or three money leaders on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's going to be on the PGA Tour. And I remember, you know, I texted him after the win, and we chatted briefly, and I said, all those years when you were discussing maybe this wasn't for you, (laughs) that's life right there. He just hung in there. He kept working. Mm -hmm. He believed in his talent. And bang, look what happened. You know, sometimes it takes a while for great things to happen, you know, and you got to believe in yourself. you got to be pushing forward. You just can't be beating yourself over things that happened two years ago. And, you know, again, I compare it to life. You know, we all go through financially. You have great times. You have, I've, I've been loaded and I've been poor, you know, and I know what it's like to be, mm-hmm. to be both of them. I've been right. broke and I've been very comfortable. And, you know, if you quit when you're broke, you're probably not going to have a very good existence going forward, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've all been in love. You know, love's great, but sometimes it ends and it breaks your heart, you know, and it's, I mean, you just right. got to keep moving forward. That's, that's golf right there. Golf is so much of life, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I've said that through my whole career as well, is golf mimics life and life mimics, you know, what happens on the golf. Because there's so many, there are so many life lessons that you can learn. And, it, and if you learn to navigate, this is the really interesting thing. Um, <laughs> pardon me. If you learn how to navigate around the golf course, and that doesn't mean you're winning everything, but that just means that you're able to overcome challenges and obstacles that you may be faced with. You'll find how much easier it is to navigate through life, because yes. if you can handle yes. those, if you can handle those That's challenges, it. and it works both ways. Um, because I've, I've I've proven it. I mean, there, there's you know who hasn't been faced with um, you know a, a whole bag full of trouble when you walk up in the tee box and you see a lake running down one side, you got fairway <laughs> right. bunkers here, you've got this right. And you have to find a way of saying, okay, what, what are my options here? What do I need? Now, obviously, you, you can't spend hours doing it because you're, you know, especially if you're playing in a tournament. But you assess the situation. So there's an assessment process that goes through. And then you, you make a yeah. decision. Okay, this is what I need to do. This is the swing I need to put on. And then you, you, the confidence comes in. So it, it's like a – and I talked about this actually last week on Coach's Corner. Is There's two boxes. There's a think box and there's a play box. When you're in the think box, that's when you're going through your pre-shot routine, you're gathering your information, and so on and so forth. There's a line that divides that, and that's where a decision is made. That's where the confidence comes in. You're confident that I picked the right, okay, it's a seven iron, that's what I'm going to do. Now you're stepping into the play box, 
and that's the box that now you're going to play that shot. doesn't matter whether it comes off or not. That's to deal with later. But you have to put yourself in that mindset. And that's what golf teaches you, and that's what life teaches you. And you're exactly right. The yeah. two are really very parallel to one another. Oh, you know, I think referring to Mia's question, I think something my daughter Carly got out of golf, I mean, you look at her life. She was winning a, a world championship at 11, a high school state championship at 17, full ride to LSU. She's a very competent human being because of golf. And and I look at her mm-hmm. career. She's very successful at what she does now. And she picked an amazing man to marry. I think a lot of that comes from confidence, you know. And I see people that don't have that. And, you know, life can be quite challenging when you don't have that. And I think golf, golf definitely – matches up to life it really is the way you play golf usually is the way you live your life yep i couldn't agree more and and i gotta throw i gotta throw in there barry i know you're not gonna you're gonna say it but i'm gonna throw it in anyways she had a pretty terrific dad too to help her along the way so that it wasn't just the golf golf was golf golf was just the vessel that she used she might debate you on that ted but i don't know but you know i will say this um you know, we're all golf pros, me, you, and 25,000 other golf yeah. pros. But right. until you've lived it, you know, and I lived it with my daughter, mm-hmm. you, and you see, you're playing in, she's playing in USGA events. She's playing in NCAA Division One National Championships, you know. That's a whole different level. And having mm-hmm. a kid like Brandon that just went on a Corn Ferry Tour, it's a whole different level of commitment, whole different level of intensity and confidence is a huge part of it. And, you know, I, I feel like what we're talking about is just smack dab golf fitting in with life. But uh, these have been great calls. I love taking calls about golf and instruction. I love chatting with you about it. Well, and, and you know, it's nice, too. I, I was glad, um, you know, when I've had you on in the past, we've had a lot of adults calling, and it was nice, uh, kind of interesting to have some young guns, if you will, uh, calling in For on the sure. show and, and asking questions. And obviously you could tell – that they were a little bit nervous. Uh, ben was a little bit uh, <laughs> nervous to, to call in, but that's hey, you're, he's 11 years old, so uh, I was probably my knees were probably knocking <laughs> at that age too. But but you know the 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 the, the, the real key is that they recognize that, um, and especially at such a young age, that they need help with something, um, and yeah. you know, and that again it comes really, with a maturity yeah. because right. Because a lot of kids, young kids, they they kind of think they know everything they and they're just going to go out and do it. You're so right. right. Let me tell you about the and Ben situation. Ben, I leave Ben every six months. I leave to come up to New York State. So he works with me all winter. But last year when I got back, he was a mess. He was shooting over 100. And this is a kid that's a good player. So, mm-hmm. you know, he packed his game. Hey, he just shot 74, won a big tournament, you know. He plays in the same events as Charlie Wood. He's, he's a year and a half younger than Charlie, but then you're going to compete with that kid. I can tell you that. But I think, how do I say this without, I think there's a lot of poor golf instruction out there. And I think Ben yep. fell into it a little bit and he got mm-hmm. lost and he was ready. His dad said, he's not sure he wants to play anymore. And I said, that's a crime because yep. I've been teaching him since he's four. Well, quickly I attacked that kid's game. He just took off and he had the best winter of his life. You know, he shot, a bunch yep. of scores in the 70s, won a golf tournament. And I feel like who you listen to is, just like in life, who you listen to is probably more valuable than anything. Who do you get your advice from? And yep. I think Ben's a smart kid, and I want him to have success, you know? 
Well, and we've talked, this is something that you raise a, a really good point. Um, you mentioned something early on about keeping it simple. And that yeah. could be, uh, that is the truth because unfortunately, and I'll, I've said this many times on the show here when it comes to golf instruction, there's a lot of well-intended instructors out there, teachers, coaches, whatever you <laughs> want to label themselves. But the truth of the matter is they get caught up in all of the technology. They get caught up in all the vernacular. And I've seen this on social media with they get in there and they're trying to oh, impress one another with man. what they know. And, and it's good to have knowledge. I'm not knocking it. But I think at the same time, your student is there to learn. They're not there to learn all of the technology. They're there to learn from your experience as an instructor. And if you're burdening them or you're overbearing uh, with your instruction by giving them things that are overly complicated, yeah. they're not going to learn luck. and they're not going to be receptive. I remember you telling the story one time on the show, and I don't know if you recall this. You were at an event, and I'm not sure if it was one of Carly's events, and there was a pro at the end of the range that had set up his equipment, and uh, he was fairly new, and you walked down there and you talked to him. Do you remember that story? Dallas Athletic Club. My daughter happened to come in <laughs> second. It, it was SMU's home tournament. Her freshman year, I fly uh -huh. out to Dallas. It was cold. Um, luckily, my daughter had a great tournament, came in second place in her third college tournament ever. But the best part was I see this nice kid, 25 years old, with his shingle up for golf lessons, and there's nobody down there. And he came up to me, and he asked me a few questions, and I said, so how's your business? He goes, kind of slow. I said, well, what do you do to get students? And, you know, right. well, I kind of hang this sign out here, and I just stand there. I say, why don't you go play with people? Go play golf with people. Right. Michael touched on something in the first call. He said I was a good player. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people teaching golf mm -hmm. that maybe weren't so good at playing golf, if you know what I mean, and they've never been in tournaments. Yep. And I think that's extremely valuable because I teach people like Carly and Ben and Annabelle. Mm -hmm. I teach them from my playing perspective. There's no sure. way I would be out on the first tee in a golf tournament thinking about making a perfect golf swing because there is no such thing. I'm thinking about how do I shoot right. 69? You know, like how can yep. I hit the first ball down mm -hmm. the middle, hit the first green in regulation and sink a putt for bird? You know, and I, so I told the guy, why don't you go play with some people and give them your business card? Um, you know, just simply go up, introduce yourself and play golf with a three, with a foursome and hand them your card. If you're a halfway decent yep. player, you'll pick up some business. You know, he just saw because he had it. Yep. He had all the technology out there to track man or force, whatever yeah. it was back then, flight scope maybe. And meanwhile, I had just come off from watching my daughter take second place, the LSU bus take. They're flying back to the airport. So I had time. I was with a dear friend of mine, Craig Locke, and I stopped by his academy. And this is an amazing facility, Ted, Dallas Athletic Club. Uh, Jack Nicklaus won mm -hmm. a PGA championship there. This is an amazing facility. And I just said to him, you're going to eat a lot of hamburger the rest of your life if you just stand there and wait for people to walk up to you. <laughs> I like eating right. steak, you know. I don't want to eat yep. hamburger the rest of my life. So I gave him <laughs> some tips, you know, and hopefully he listens. <laughs> you know, yeah, I will say this. And, 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 yeah, and that's that's a great advice. And, and again, we're not. I'm not knocking the technology now. I think it's great, but I, I think that you know, if you're relying on that um, and oh, you're not interacting, golf. Being a golf professional is like being a salesman. You have to sell yourself, and it's not just a matter of spinning a lot of yarn and, and that. You actually have to be able to go out and you have to meet people. You have to interact with people. Um, and as you said, if you're, if you're anywhere a decent player, they're going to see that. They're going to pick it up right away and say, wow, this guy's pretty good. Oh, you teach golf? Great. Hey, maybe you can help me with my game. 
But you have to get out there and interact. And, and that's the problem, too, unfortunately, with some, some of the golf courses as well. They just sort of have that old-school mentality. Well, I just open my doors, and yep. um, they don't do anything. They're not engaging in their communities. They're not out there recruiting people to come in. And I'm not talking about private clubs. Yep. I'm just talking about even just you know, some of your, your uh, municipal courses and that as well. Now, for, you're right. You know, they just – you, you like, have to be – I feel like I'm a horrible salesperson, but I'll tell you something. <laughs> I'm a very confident <laughs> golf teacher. I know I'm good at what I do. I, I think I would be a horrible salesperson. I don't think I could sell anything. But you know you can make somebody better at golf. I, there's no doubt in my mind I can help any golfer. So, you know, also when you you teach a lot of great players and they're winning everything, people see that and they come to you, you know. And yep. I just feel like there's a lot of bad golf instruction out there, and it bothers me, but I, I don't get involved, but I see it, and I just shake my yep. head, you know, and I, I just shake my head, and I, I don't get involved in it. I mind my own business, but I feel like what happened to Ben last winter, he was taking lessons somewhere, they switched everything he was doing, and kid couldn't break 100 all of a sudden, and I think that's criminal. You know, they're taking money from the family, and the kid's going leaps and bounds backwards, you know. Well, right, and a lot of it too, I think, happens when you when you get into a situation where they start pulling apart. You know, they might have one part of their game, like it could be putting, for instance, and the next thing you know, they're dissecting the rest of the game and they're altering and changing to the point now that it doesn't look anything like it did a year ago. And exactly. unfortunately, it's not it's not for the now. Sometimes you have to start at that ground zero. But if you've got somebody, I mean, think about this. Think about the players over history. Look at like a Lee Trevino. Can you imagine if a, if a modern-day golf instructor looked at that and said, oh, you know, right? we got to do something with this. This guy looks terrible swinging that hey, golf club. But look how many tournaments he won. Look how many majors he won. You know, I'll give you a great story. This is, this is classic. I mean, and Ben, if you're still listening, Annabelle, if you're still listening, Emmy, this is you guys right here. So my daughter's like nine, and she's already a great player winning tournaments. Well, I'm busy all day teaching golf, and there was this golf camp up here in my hometown and she was just licking her chops to play golf every day. So I sent her to this golf camp, and I said, listen, they're all going to know who you are, but if they don't, just tell them your dad's a pro, and you're really not here for instruction. You just want to interact with the other kids and play the nine holes every day. That takes a lot of confidence at nine, ten years old for, for a little girl to look up an adult and say, you know, my dad's a teacher. I'm okay on instruction. But, man, I think that's a great lesson for these young kids because <laughs> – you know, you can get messed up in golf way easier than you can get helped, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think, it, <laughs> again, not to repeat myself, but I, I think it, you know, keeping it simple. You know, I, and, and something else you mentioned earlier about really, you know, the fundamentals of the game and, and the basics with, you know, the grip, the stance, the posture, ball position, that sort of thing. You know, those were staples for Jack Nicklaus every year at the beginning of the season. That's what he worked on with Jack Grout. He didn't sit there and and try to reinvent the wheel. And actually, there was one time, and I don't remember the gentleman that was involved, but there was one time, you know, Nicholas obviously famously uh, was a fader of the ball, and that's what worked for him. And somebody early on in his career, because he was looking for a little extra distance, changed him to hitting a draw, and he started playing terrible. So he went back and and redid it. And it was only for a brief period of Nicholas's career, and I was reading the article about that. And we would have, you know, we would have so, never heard of him. If he, we would have never heard of the guy right. if he didn't change back. You know, 
Right, exactly. And it, and it just goes to show that sometimes you, you don't mess with work. But, you know, Nicholas, if you watched his, his video, Golf My Way, his original video, because um, he came out with a second one, and the first one he talked about that was the thing he did. Now, obviously, the, the PGA Tour was a shorter season at that time, um, so you had a little bit of a, a break. But he said, you know, after his winter thaw, so to speak, he didn't play a lot of golf uh, through the winter. And when he came out, he what he and Jack worked worked on before he got ready for the first uh, tournament and particularly the masters what he was eyeing is he worked on his fundamentals he worked on his grip yep. he worked on his th- and certainly he worked through the winter a little bit on that too but that was what he worked on he didn't try to reinvent the wheel he didn't try to change his swing and he well, was what a stock he was again the greatest player him and woods are the greatest players that ever lived and tiger worked yep. with his dad on the same stuff same stuff yep so I think keeping it simple and, and you know, focusing on what actually needs help and not try to reinvent everything. And I think, Ben, as you mentioned, if you're listening and, and uh, Annabelle and Emma, or Emmy, sorry, and, and Mia and, and uh, Ben's dad, Larry, and Michael as well, I think what you talked about very, from the very beginning is, number one, keep it simple. Focus on your yep. fundamentals. Uh, there's obviously other things that... Uh, may need to happen at a later point, but if you focus on those things, you're going to continue to be a great player. And um, I think that's probably the, the simplest way to water down uh, what we're talking about here tonight is just to keep it simple and not try keep to overcomplicate the process you know, and and leave that baggage at home. Leave the yes. baggage. We got to know Jack Nicklaus, and you know, we're, somehow my daughter and I were friends with Jack Nicklaus. Don't ask me how, but he just took a great liking to us at a first tee thing. He actually spent half an hour with my daughter alone, just my daughter, mm-hmm. Jack, his two assistants, mm-hmm. and me. And he was in, he just loved her golf. So he wanted her to go to Ohio State instead of LSU, but she was just 13 <laughs> at the time. And, and, yeah, what do you think we all talked about? Posture, grip. She hit a couple of balls. Mm-hmm. He joked around that she should teach him, you know, because she was hitting right. it so purely. But um, <laughs> I'll never forget that, you know, and all he talked about, yeah. the things we took from that day, Ted, were, he talked about tournament preparation. He goes, I outworked them before I got there. My daughter and I would do the same thing. I'll go play my practice rounds three weeks, two weeks before, so when I get there, I'm ready. We did the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's funny, my daughter had rather a strong grip. He suggested tweaking it a little weak. Not sure we ever really made that change till down the road a little bit because she was only 12. But, um, you know, we listened to every word the guy said, you know. And, and then I would yep. see him around. He would see Carly at tournaments. I know we're almost out of time. I'll give you a great putting story if mm-hmm. Annabelle's listening. Um, mm-hmm. So we see him mm-hmm. at the end of one of Carly's, the Honda Classic, the junior Honda Classic. My daughter basically at that time, she was a high school senior, pretty much a dominant player, you know, and, she came off after, and Jack's there watching his grandson score go up. He goes, how'd you play, Carly? Because I played pretty good, but I didn't putt that well today. And he goes, one's with a long one. And Carly goes, kind of both. And he looked at her. And I, man, here am I standing next to Jack Nicholson. He goes, Carly, it happens to the best of them. That's all he said. And I right. just thought he's referring right. to himself, you know. And, and me mm-hmm. and Carly just smiled. We took a picture with him. And, um, I mean, if, if Nicholas is saying it happens to the best of them, you just take that right there. And just keep working. That's right. Because you know, and of course, she'd go on and play great. But uh, yeah, I'll never forget when he said that to her. You know, and and I think we got time for one 30 second story. We got to go ahead. Give you another great, 
this is priceless Jack Nicholas. So he was telling us he's at a he was speaking somewhere and, and, and at the end he opened up the question and answers. There was a couple hundred people there and some guy stands up, he goes, Jack, I was at Pebble Beach when you three putted the eighteenth hole to lose the tournament by one. Jack said, Excuse me, sir, I never three putted the eighteenth hole at Pebble Beach to lose by one. Guy stands up again, Yes, I was there, Jack, I remember. Sir, what do you do for a living? I'm a shoe salesman. Jack goes, well, I'm a professional golfer. You go sell shoes and let me worry about my putting, you know? And I just thought, <laughs> I love that story. He basically chose not to remember something like that. He goes, why do I want to talk about when I was three putted the 18th hole at Pebble Beach? He watched that so yep. far out of his mind, you know? And I was like that with my daughter. Let's not talk about anything negative. All good. Yep. I couldn't agree more. What a great way to end the segment. Yep. Barry, I want to thank you and uh, keep up the great work, not only teaching, but keep uh, keep the articles coming for Golf Tips Magazine. And I don't know if you've seen the, the most recent uh, issue or not, have you? I have not seen the most recent issue. you got one of my articles in it. Thank you. I certainly do. I have your Coach's Corner article in there um, as actually the main feature of the uh, issue. It's available right now thank at Barnes & Noble and Books a Million. You'll see that in there. So, um, I think you had a copy, prob- probably went to your Florida yeah. address, so I don't know if you yeah. have it rerouted to, uh, uh, to Binghamton or not. My, but uh, my brother will send it to me. And I just want to say, Golf Tips Magazine, best in the industry. It's a pleasure to be involved with you. And the one credential I love most is Top 25 Golf Teacher in America by Golf Tips Magazine. I've got a lot of neat things. That's my favorite, and I thank you. I appreciate it, Barry. Thank you, my friend, and much continued success. Say hello to Carly uh, when you're talking to her next. And thank you to all the callers calling in tonight. I hope you got a few good nuggets uh, from Mr. Goldstein. I know he has a lot of uh, great uh, wisdom to pass on, and he'll continue to do that. Thank you, everybody. God bless, and we'll see you next time on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Barry. You're welcome, Ted. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Barry Goldstein, professional golfer and instructor and Golf Tips 25, uh, top 25 instructor. And uh, he's up in Binghamton, New York right now, so look him up. And uh, in the fall, he'll be heading back down to Coral Springs, Florida. You can check him out there as well. Uh, but you can also uh, see some of his great work uh, in Golf Tips magazine, uh, which is available on newsstands, or you can subscribe. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next week. Again, God bless. Have a great uh, week, and I will see you next time on uh, Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.